Good morning, everybody. The Bible reading today is from 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 16, and it's on page 924 of the Pew Bible. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may, be un that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in, wor not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? but we have the mind of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy word and we pray that you would give us wisdom to understand and courage to enact it in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The, if you've got your Bibles open there or your phones, 924 is the, is the page and we, we're doing the whole of chapter 2. So everyone's got that. Good. Last week we looked at the Beatitudes and Jesus' teaching on wisdom of the kingdom. Today we continue with Paul's teaching in the letter to the Corinthians Christians on the wisdom of the cross. Power in weakness, wisdom in foolishness. Our context has moved from the Galilean countryside to metropolitan Corinth. Corinth was a large multicultural trading centre in ancient Greece. Paul in the letter is seeking to explain the paradoxical nature of the gospel of Jesus. God, who became human, 
lived in the frailty of humankind, a God who suffered and died for all humanity. How wisdom and power could be seen in apparent foolishness and weakness. Paul's audience were culturally Greek, but they lived in the power and fear context of Roman domination. Paul writes to address the apparent, the apparent paradox. The apparent paradox that we find when we look at the gospel. Wisdom to the Greeks was about achieving honour and status. Personal and community disgrace resulted from shame and dishonour. To the Romans it was far simpler. Wisdom was seen in power. The wise were the winners. Those who conquered received the spoils. The Greeks could talk a lot about philosophy, but in the Roman narrative, wisdom was, those, was found in those that found themselves at the top of the pile. In a sense, we have a lot in common with Paul's audience, probably more than we did with the Galilean peasants. We struggled to resonate with their powerlessness and oppression. Jesus' words provided comfort and guidance for the dark nights that we experienced. But they weren't really where we hoped to be. We find more kinship with Paul's Corinthian readers. Our prevailing local culture could rather be described as an unhappy combination between seeking status whilst navigating our way through an innate and vicious power and overfear. Members of our community, and I, I generalise a lot here so I apologise, but members of our community aspire to be seen as desirable and attractive people. We don't so much envy others, but we want to be envied. And perhaps we even envy those that are. Both public and social media can be seen as a battleground of warring virtue signalling, as people seek to be seen as more desirable and influential than their peers. However, amidst this, there's a great fear of sabotage, fear of getting it slightly wrong and being taken down and shamed or even being cancelled, whatever that might mean. Given our, our contexts are similar and we face the same paradox today in understanding wisdom in weakness and wisdom in foolishness, perhaps Paul's explanation and teaching could be really helpful for us this morning. So let's have a look at the text. Verse 2, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I didn't come with elegant or human wisdom as I proclaimed the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing 
while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not wise and persuasive, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that faith so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul here is seeking to explain that he didn't come to convince them of the validity of the gospel by his persuasive oratory. In ancient Greece, the gift of oratory was lionised. The pop stars of ancient Greece, particularly Athens, were the public orators. Those who gathered the adoring crowds in the marketplace and explained the mysteries of the universe. The ancient Greeks were great thinkers and even today their heritage dominates modern philosophy. Instead, Paul describes how he came, lacking presentation and a persuasive image to proclaim simply the message of what God had done for humanity through Jesus' death on the cross. They had accepted his message, not because of Paul's power in presenting it, but rather through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. Their response was not driven by his powerful oration, but it was driven through the work of the Spirit in their inner beings. Paul could People couldn't accuse Paul of being misleading or deceptive. His words were spoken, plainly, without guile. However, through the work of the Spirit in them, they were deeply affected by these simple words and responded powerfully to them. In short, God was the cause of their belief, not Paul. Verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not to the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. We declare God's wisdom a mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Now, Paul accepts that not all these Christians are mature, but now, as they understood more, they had internalised the gospel and they began to understand its wisdom. However, for those that hadn't accepted the gospel, it made no sense. It remained a mystery. Elsewhere, Paul describes the gospel as the stumbling block for Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If people had understood the coming of Jesus, then clearly they wouldn't have crucified him. If they'd recognised him as God incarnate, then they would have embraced and worshipped him. However, they didn't recognise his power and weakness. They rejected his teaching and they crucified they crucified the author of life because they failed to understand how power could be conveyed in weakness. 
verse 9. However, as it is written, no eye, what no eye has not seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things of God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. Now, Paul continues to explain how the wisdom of God is far beyond the understanding of humanity. It can only be understood through the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. God's wisdom is simply beyond us. Have you ever thought of a part of your life where God's provision for you was highly inexpedient? And you thought if you were in control of the universe, you would have done much better? Sadly, we often don't understand God's leading or his provision. To continue, we need to trust him in faith. Continuing in 10. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the word, of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God freely has given to us. Paul promises that as the Holy Spirit exerts more influence in our lives, we will understand more of the wisdom of God. The presence of God within us helps us to understand the mind of God and to follow the pathway that he's mapped out for us. 13. This is what we speak, not the words taught by human wisdom, but the words taught by the Spirit, explaining the spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them, because they are only discerned through the Spirit. Spirit-inspired wisdom differs from the learned wisdom of the world. It often stands in contrast to the ways of the world. In following the wisdom of the Spirit, we may be considered foolish by our peers. They cannot understand this deeper wisdom because they lack the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that unlocks it for us. Verse 15. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And finally, but we have the mind of Christ. The wisdom we choose to follow will affect our judgments. The outworkings of our lives will be, will be dictated by these decisions. Paul concludes that those who have invited God's Spirit to take charge of their lives will have the mind of Christ. Consequently, they will make good life choices. They will follow the Spirit's leading and they will make good choices in their lives. But 
this is all a bit esoteric. What does it mean in practice? What does it mean for us individually to have the mind of Christ? What is the wisdom of, cross, of the cross and what does it mean to us? And more scaringly, how should we apply it today? I would suggest to you that just as the gospel is counterintuitive, that's a big word for meaning it doesn't make sense, so, the so is the wisdom of the cross. The fact that God divested himself of power to become human and then let humans torture and kill him is really difficult to understand. How could it be wisdom to give up power and die a painful death? It challenges our very understanding of what it means to be wise. It challenges our understanding of what it means to make good life choices. Uh, in answering this question, I, I think we need to look at wisdom itself. Communities have acknowledged and valued wise men and women since the begin beginning of human history. Wise people have had the insight and capacity to ask why and seek a deeper level of meaning. Wise people search for a better place for themselves and their children. Paul was steeped in both Greek philosophy and Jewish proverbial wisdom. But he tells the Corinthians that he's resolved to only preach Christ, who is God's power and wisdom. For Paul, the cross had turned everything upside down. Now he recognises that true wisdom is a gift from God. It is inspired by the Spirit in us. Consequently, Paul renounces all his previous pretensions to wisdom. If I could paraphrase him, through the cross, God made foolish the wisdom of the world, for the cross appears an embarrassing stumbling block to the worldly wise, but is in fact the power of the cross. The wisdom of the cross is the, our, the source of our life in Jesus. Rather than follow the wisdom that sought to empower and enrich in a worldly sense, the wise person, Paul observed, seeks to imitate Christ, who gave up all and accepted weakness and triumphed in glory. Paul taught that the power of Jesus was actually seen in his weakness, and this was a model for all Christians. Jesus was crucified in weakness, and he lives through the power of God. The power of God, as seen in the raising of Jesus to life, could only come about through the willingness of Jesus to die on the cross. This action required the acceptance and embracement of weakness. Jesus' followers could only obtain the power of the resurrection by humbling accept, humbly accepting that Jesus died for them. To receive this power, they were required to take on the weakness of Christ and claim his death on the cross for them personally. 
It was not something they could win or earn. The powerful must become weak if they wish to gain real power. This was strange teaching for the ancient world, just as strange today. Paul taught that because he was freed from the power of sin, he now, by his own choice, was enslaved to Christ, his new master. Now, this is very difficult to understand. No free ancient person, especially a Roman citizen like Paul, would lionise the idea of becoming a slave. And yet Paul teaches that true freedom is found in becoming a slave of Christ. Paul preaches that this true freedom in becoming a slave of Christ. For he witnessed and experienced Christ's power in his life through taking on the weakness of Christ and becoming a servant of Christ so that he could serve others. Jesus taught that a person must lose their life to gain it. They had to give up on their own attempts at wisdom and accept his wisdom. Now, this doesn't mean that you don't have to go to school next week. I'm sorry, Liam. That's, I'm, I'm definitely not, not saying that. It doesn't mean avoiding an education, keeping your head in the sand. But it does mean looking outside ourselves, outside of the wisdom of our world, for the true pathway to life. It means using Jesus and his gospel as our guide rather than the noise of the world that we hear around us. In a world that says, win at all costs, lie, cheat, steal, walk over anyone that gets in your way, Jesus says, no. You are my brothers and sisters, follow me. You already have the most important thing in this world. You are now children of the living God. Don't worry about what other people think or what you have achieved or failed. These things are superfluous to what really matters. The truly wise are those who know and accept their place before God, who live lives that further his kingdom. Paul was somewhat of an overachiever in his day, but in the latter parts of his life, he concludes that the only thing that he still seeks is Jesus' commendation of him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Wise people today acknowledge that their wisdom doesn't come from themselves, but rather through the power of the spirit that lives in them. They spend their time seeking the Spirit's guidance and they're brave enough to put it into practice. When we read and study our Bibles, when we pray, do we actively seek the Spirit's wisdom or do we come with closed minds and look for confirmations of what we already believe? To become really wise, to become truly wise, we need to be open and teachable. Many of us can 
can clearly lay claim to worldly wisdom. We have all the commendations and even the paperwork to prove that we are wise. But the real question that I suspect we should be asking this morning is whether we are truly wise in God's eyes. Do we have the mind of Christ and do we live accordingly? May God bless and guide you as you ponder these questions this week. Amen.